There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Devraga Personal Finance, episode 29. In this episode, we'll discuss some of the common things and tips and tricks that you need to be aware of when buying your car. So far, we've talked about buying a home, investing, saving 20% of your after-tax income, and paying yourself first. But when it comes to buying a car, you're essentially buying the second biggest purchase of your life. So, it pays to know some of the basic tips and basic tricks and having a systems-based approach to buying the car of your dreams. Now, before we get on to the podcast, just remember the mission statement of this podcast channel is essentially for you to learn about personal finance so that you can apply some basic principles and basic concepts to your personal finance so that you can be wealthy in your retirement. Now, the underlying principle of this podcast channel is that I want you to try and save up to 20% of your after-tax income, set it aside pay yourself first and invest it and keep doing it for the long term and reinvest the dividends or the interest rate that you get out of that 20% initial investment and then keep doing it for the rest of your life. And hopefully over the 30 to 40 year period, long-term investing pays off. So there are two main segments in this podcast. What are the actual things you need to look out for when buying a new car or buying a used car? And the second part of the segment is what are the financial options that are available when buying a car. So, here are the top tips for buying a car. First of all, you need to consider what is the purpose of the car. So, in my life, we have two cars. We have a large SUV seven-seater, and we have a small SUV. That's my car, which I use quite a lot for driving. I do about a 1,000 kilometers per week. So, I need a relatively reliable, safe, fuel-efficient vehicle. Are you going to be going for used cars or are you going to be um, going for privately purchased cars or are you going to be going for brand new cars? These are some of the things that you need to think about. And remember, have a budget and always stick to it. Just like buying a home, buying a car can be an emotional experience, but you need to set that aside, have a budget, have a 10% leeway on either side and try and stick to it. So what's the purpose of your car? Is it to drop off kids to sports, activities and schools? Do you need a spacious car? What about weekends and leave trips? What about safety? What about reliability? And what about some of the technological features? Electronic stability control, airbags, curtain inclusive, automatic emergency braking, seatbelt reminders, usually based on pressure sensors and seats, backseat child reminders, active cruise control, lane keep assist, automatic everything, headlamps, dimmers, high beams, wipers, locking, unlocking, push button start, and of course, safety backup cameras and front and surround cameras. Now, these are some of the things you need to think about. In my view, all of these safety and tech equipment is invaluable. I've used it on a daily basis. For example, in both of my cars, I have radar cruise control. It is invaluable. In both of my cars, I have automatic emergency braking, absolute gold, and everything is automatic, high beams, low beams, rain sensing wipers, 
I've just found them very, very useful. Lane keep assist, auto steering. I think it's been absolutely, um, uh, uh, you know, initially when I first bought it, to be honest, I thought a lot of these features were just gimmicks. But over time, I've realized that it's those features and the safety cameras we use as a family on a daily basis. The second thing you need to think about is, are you going to go, uh, you know, buy a car using cash or are you going to go buy a car on finance? So we'll talk about this in more detail in the next segment of this podcast. The third tip is you need to think about, are you going to get it from a licensed dealer or are you going to go with private sales? You need to do your research. For example, there are a lot of scammers online pretending to sell their cars, but actually the cars are stolen. Licensed dealers are regulated cooling off period exists, there's warranty protection and there's servicing. And of course, with this comes a little bit of a premium and I've never actually bought a car in the private car market. It's not something that I do because I think it's a little bit risky. So I've always stuck to dealers. I've always stuck to buying them brand new mostly. I haven't really bought a used car. The fourth thing you need to think about is safety. You need to check the ANCAP safety rating. The ANCAP is the Australasian New Car Assessment Program. This is my number one go-to site to look at the safety ratings of the car. When I buy cars, the number one thing I look for is safety. I'm not going to buy a car that hasn't got at least a five-star ANCAP safety rating. Um, I don't trust what manufacturers say. I don't trust what dealers say. I check the site myself, and the site is How Safe Is Your Car? .com.au. I find the website very, very intuitive to use, extremely useful, and you can actually compare cars based on the same categories. A couple of pointers is they only test popular cars. Having said that, they test a lot of cars. So if you're in the market for a supercar like a McLaren 720S, uh, you're probably not going to get much safety ratings from howsafeisyourcar.com.au, but certainly if you're going to buy a Mazda CX-5 or a CX-7 or some sort of an SUV, sure, they would do those safety testing of those cars. Also have a look at the North American version of the same. Have a look at the European version of the same. They tend to have higher standards sometimes, so it's really important that um, you compare um, uh, compare the other um, ANCAPs, the North American CAP and the European ANCAP. Um, now, used cars. Now, if you're going to buy used cars, remember the ANCAP rating is mainly for brand new cars. Uh, there is such a thing called used car safety ratings, which is created using real world data. Real crashes are analysed, whereas with the ANCAP rating, it's mostly popular new cars, which are tested in labs. And if, remember, you can only compare with ANCAP, compare cars in the same category. So you can't compare a sedan versus an SUV or a large utility vehicle. And that would be an unfair comparison. So if you're going to compare a Toyota Yaris to um, something like a Mercedes GLS, well, you know, that's an unfair comparison. So you can only compare cars amongst itself when it comes to categories. Now, independent inspection. Is it important? I've talked about this when buying a home. Getting a building and pest inspection, I think, is invaluable, is vital when you're buying a home. Um, I think getting an independent inspection certificate for a car um, to make sure that um, uh, that it's you know reliable and safe is useful, particularly if you're buying something from a private car seller or particularly if you're buying something that's used, okay? Um, as often with used cars or private car sellers, of course, you won't get any warranty. With used cars, maybe just a three-month warranty. So if you're going to buy a brand new car, it's probably not you know useful because you would expect that it's a brand new car, that it's in perfect working tip-top working condition, but certainly um, I think an independent inspection is useful for private car buyers and also used car buyers. Now remember, 
An independent inspection certificate is not the same as a safety certificate. A car can be safe, but can be absolutely crap in real life. So safety just means the bare minimum. So don't get confused when someone says they've got a safety certificate for the car. That is completely different to an independent car inspection certificates. And the RACV in Victoria does it. Um, I'm sure in your state you have some reputable companies that do independent car inspections and give you a full detailed report. And I think it's extremely useful if you're buying a used car or a car from a private seller. Now, when you're dealing with car dealers, especially, always get things in writing, not over the phone. Car salesmen say all sorts of stuff over the phone or verbally and then renege on their promise. So always watch out for the after sales uh, salesman. So the paint protection, the window protection, the this protection, the that protection. Most new cars, guys, are tested in all sorts of weather conditions and are made for global use. So I'm sure they can handle the Aussie sun or the Aussie winter. In my view, a lot of this dealership after sales is complete BS. If you really want those things done, get it done in the aftermarket space, much cheaper and probably more reliable. And I'm sure the dealers take it to these places anyway, so they don't do do it themselves. Now, a lot of dealers will say, well, if you go to this aftermarket place here and there, the warranty is void. Mm, you know, I, I wouldn't buy that crap, to be honest. Um, I'd sort of do your own uh, due diligence and check the contract because I'm pretty sure new car warranties can't be just voided just because you just randomly, you know, go to some person to do aftermarket, provided it's done in an appropriate way. You know, don't do it in your backyard or in your garage, okay? Read the contract, number eight, delivery fees, and all these other add-on fees, which might be cheekily added on just prior to signing of the contract. Make sure everything you get in writing is included in the contract, free floor mats, free tank or petrol, warranty details, etc., etc. Guys, I think free tank of petrol and free floor mats is the bare minimum that you should be getting in your car, but generally, my sort of general rule of thumb is try and knock off between 10 and 20% of the retail price for the car. So if you're gonna buy a car with a budget of $60,000, you really should be buying it for around 48 to around $54,000, okay? So you don't wanna be paying $60,000 retail price for a car that's advertised for $60,000. You really need to make sure that you have your negotiating and bargaining power down packed, have a strategy before you go in and discuss with the salespeople because these guys and girls are absolute masters in deception, okay? Now, the um, other thing is during delivery, make sure you check the contract again, you check the warranty documents, you check the safety certificate, and make sure you have a certificate of currency. These are all extremely important things they need to do because I bet you there'll be all sorts of advertisements to buy a car, but when you get to the bottom line, they'll say, well, hang on, this this particular thing is not included. Sorry, we're not going to give you a free tank of petrol. Sorry, there's no free floor mats. And by the way, you know, these features are not actually included in the car because you test drove a top-of-the-range model and this is what you're getting. So you need to do your due diligence about it. Insurance, number 10. Make sure that you get your insurance sorted out prior to taking delivery of the vehicle. A lot of people get insurance after taking the delivery of the vehicle. In my view, that's completely risky because you take delivery of the vehicle, you drive out of the lot of the car salesman, uh, or you know you drive out of the lot of the private car salesman, then you have an accident. If you don't have insurance, guess what? You're not covered. Okay, so make sure that you get insurance. My general rule about that is always get insurance about a week prior to taking delivery. 
Now, you can shop around. There's multiple insurance companies. Uh, that's another topic for discussion for later on. But essentially, never take delivery of a vehicle, of a car, without active insurance. So I usually get it one week prior to taking delivery of the car. All you need is a VIN number which your car salesman would be able to give. And if you don't know where it is, usually it's at the front of the car or under the bonnet. Uh, if you Google it or YouTube it, it'll be pretty easy to find out where the VIN number of the car is. Okay, so those are the 10 things. So in, in, in summary, when you buy a car, the number one thing you need to look at is budget. Number two is what is the purpose of the car? Number three is finance, which we'll go into in the next segment of this podcast. Number four is, are you going to get a private salesman car or are you going to get a car from a licensed dealer? Are you going to go brand new? Are you going to go used? Check the safety ratings um, and make sure you check all of the tech features uh, that you want in your car. Independent inspection certificate. I think it's definitely useful if you're thinking about buying a used car versus a new car. Always check for a used car inspection certificate um, and Never assume that's the same as getting a safety certificate because they're two different things. Always get things in writing, not over the phone, because car salesmen can, you know, uh, you know they're lying when their mouth is moving. So make sure that you get it in writing. Always check personal property register. So um, you'll need a VIN, um, and it's basically a small payment. I think it's about two bucks to get a certificate emailed to you. The reason why is because it'll tell you things like if there's money owing on the car, is it stolen? Has it been written off? Or has there been flood damage? It confirms vehicle features too, so you can cross-reference it what's been advertised versus what's being sold. So it's very useful for used cars um, and definitely useful for private sales. I mean, the aim is to buy a car is to own the title. So if there's any doubt about you not getting the title, then don't buy the car. Read the contract, delivery fees, and all of these add-on fees. Make sure you get insurance. And, of course, during delivery, recheck the contract, warranty documents, and safety certificate. So those are the top 10 tips for buying a car, which is going to be the second biggest purchase in your life. Um, and you've got to take emotion out of it because, you know, buying a car is a very emotional experience. You're going to be using it more than, I'd argue, you'd be using your car probably more than anything else in your life, apart from your house, of course. Uh, maybe your TV or your laptop, but really, or your phone, but really using your car is something that you were doing day in, day out. And you've got to think about what sort of purpose you want your car to serve. Now, the second segment of this podcast channel is the financial component of buying a car. Because really, if you make the wrong financial decision when buying a car, it can really make or break you and set you back about sort of five to 10 years in my view, in my calculations, uh, from your you know project, uh, which is to be you know in retirement comfortable and be financially independent and have some financial peace. So, to make things simpler about this segment of the podcast, I'm mainly talking about cars for personal use. Business use cars are slightly complex, and since this podcasting channel is mainly about personal finance, we will be sticking to cars for personal use. So, the most obvious question, the number one question is, are you going to pay cash for your car? Or are you going to get loan for your car? With this obvious question comes another obvious question. Do you have a lump sum amount to pay for the car? Or can you save up the lump sum amount in a really quick space of time and manage without a car or with a lesser car in the meantime? So if you have the cash for that new car sitting in your account and you're consumer debt free, then yeah, go ahead and purchase that car. Pay cash for your car. 
make sure you do all the due diligence, as we've discussed in the previous segment of this podcast, before you buy the car. I've found that buying a car with cash without any encumbrances, any monthly payments, no consumer debt, no worries, is the best way to buy a car, and it's often the cheapest way to buy a car. I know a lot of people probably disagree with me on this one, but I've always found paying cash for the car is worth it. I've bought over $100,000 in cars over the last five years alone, and paying cash for it was the best thing I did. I had more cash flow after buying the car because I didn't have to pay any monthly payments, and I didn't have to worry about making payments. And of course, in the times of hardship, you own the car, you own the title, so you can actually sell the car and get some cash back if you have any financial difficulties, and I hope you don't. But if you do, then you have that option. Now, if you don't have cash, what do you do? I know a lot of people out there don't have that lump sum to buy the cash. What do you do? Well, if you can manage with a lesser car, then do it and save up the cash to buy the new car. If you can't manage with a lesser car and you need the car right away, then think about getting a cheaper car, which means compromising. So if that's not possible, then, for example, you're driving an unsafe car and have kids and want to improve your safety. I hear you. Maybe finance is the best option for you. But The crux of the podcast episode is if you've got the money, if you've got the capacity to save the money, have a budget, pay cash for your car, particularly for personal cars. Business and stuff, it's slightly different. You can get a shadow mortgage, a high purchase car, whatever. But for personal purpose, it makes complete sense. If you've got the money, just pay the cash outright so that you don't suffer in terms of monthly repayments and all that sort of stuff. Okay? So... The financial options in terms of buying a car, apart from obviously paying cash for it, is instant gratification. So basically, if you get a loan, you get the car straight away, you get the touch, the feel, the use, and drive the car straight away, you don't have the pain of waiting to save money and pay cash for it, okay? But with it comes some major disadvantages. So what are some of the financial options? If you own a home and you've got a mortgage, you can borrow on the equity of your home. So what is equity? Equity just means your home is worth more than what you owe. And you can go to the bank and borrow on it for what it's worth, provided you have enough equity to borrow. So if your home loan mortgage is $100,000 and your equity is $200,000, I mean, your actual home worth, sorry, it's worth $200,000, then the equity component is $200,000 minus $100,000 in mortgage. Your equity on the home is $100,000. But you need to remember these things. You may need to pay loan mortgage insurance on it, Uh, If you have a ratio that breaches the 80% rule, that is loan-to-value ratio of less than 80%. So it really depends on what profession you are. Um, I know a lot of doctors out there get 90% uh, because of their profession, but really you can negotiate and haggle with your bank. Um, You'll have to pay, um, you know, you, you, you will pay lower interest rates over the longer period of time. So remember, your mortgage is 20 to 30 years. So overall, you're paying more money for the car. So let me give you an example. If you bought an average car, which is about $30,000 in value, and if you simply got a car loan at 6.5% interest over five years, your interest for that car loan over that five years is $5,218, plus, of course, the principal payments of $30,000. So your actual cost of the car is $35,218. But if you borrowed from your home loan at 5% interest rates, your interest payments over the long term becomes $22,000. That is on top of the principal paid of $30,000 for the car. So your personal car loan, even though the interest payment's higher, because you're paying it off over five years, you only pay $35,218 for a $30,000 car. 
But if you borrow it on your home, even though interest rate is lower at 5%, your interest payment alone is 22 grand. Therefore, your actual cost of the car is $52,000. So you're actually paying more. So be very careful for borrowing on your home to buy a car. The second type of loan is called an unsecured loan, just getting a you know a car loan or, or, or a personal loan especially. It works reasonably well for cheaper cars or lower loan amounts, and it means the bank lends you a personal loan, and they don't take any security for it. It means your interest rate will be higher though than average because the bank has no way of recouping the money via the sale of an asset if you fail to pay. So this strategy is complete debt, it's personal debt, and it's risky, um, but it means that you get a car which is not uh, uh, which is not uh, recoupable technically. Look, in all honesty, I think if the banks want to squeeze money out of you guys, they will. Okay, if a if 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 a loan company wants to squeeze money out of you, they will. They have very deep pockets. They're very good lawyers and they're very good debt collectors. So this is why I say, if you can buy a car just with cash, please buy a car with cash. The third option is a secured loan which is um, much cheaper when it comes to interest rates because the interest rate should be better. Uh, this means the banks can use the car as a security. So um, they'll come for it if you don't make the payments on time every month or fortnight. But this is debt and this is risky. You know me by now, I don't like consumer debt. I don't like any types of debt. Yeah, maybe mortgage. Again, if you can buy a house with cash, great, but who can? Um, buying something which doesn't produce income and depreciates in value is not a good strategy. So if you've got the money, pay for it, but you can get a secured car loan if you want. And with a secured car loan, you may be able to set a balloon payment at the end of the contract term, usually three, five, or seven years, which means your monthly repayment is lower, but at the end of the contract, you need to either pay a lump sum to own the car or sell it and buy another one and add that balloon payment to your next loan. This is a bad strategy for personal car loans in my view, but can be worth it for business cars. So really, essentially, you are losing money by doing this. But of course, if you need a car, you need safety, et cetera, et cetera, then you get the car straight away and you don't have the money to pay for it straight away, then getting a finance based on a balloon payment might be the right option for you. But it is a losing proposition. Do not think that this option is financially sound. It is not financially sound. It is only if you cannot afford to buy a car of your uh, requirements using cash. Now, the fourth option is novated leasing or leasing in general. A novated lease is basically when you get a car and pay the expenses of that car, such as monthly financial options, insurance, fuel maintenance from your pre-tax dollars. This is a very popular method for many doctors and nurses and people who work in non-profit organizations and they can salary package it. Your organization may have a specific novated lease package um, uh, designed for you. Now, why is this beneficial? Well, it means your taxable income is lower than otherwise what you would have earned. So suppose your taxable income is $100,000 and your yearly novated lease is costing you $10,000. Rather than paying tax on the whole $100,000, you now only pay tax on $90,000. It's actually $90,000 minus the tax-free threshold, which is 18 grand roughly. But let's keep things really simple. So essentially the $10,000 that is required to maintain the car by way of monthly repayments, insurance, fuel costs, maintenance costs, etc. You take that away from your taxable portion of income, which is 100 grand. So therefore the new taxable income becomes $90,000. Now, and those are the four main types of buying a car on, on, on finance. To recap, mortgage, borrowing on the equity of your home. Number two, getting an unsecured loan. Number three, getting a secured car loan. And number four, getting novated leasing or leasing in general. Okay. 
Uh, and of course, the best option, in my view, is paying cash um, and um, just just saving up money and, and, and just paying cash for it because I think it's a very rewarding opportunity to buy a car. Now, there are other options, uh, especially for um, business use, so shadow mortgage or high purchase leasing. Um, again, this is not really designed for that. Um, my podcast channel is all about personal finance and trying to maximize your knowledge about it and trying to teach you concepts of personal finance. So yes, if you're going to buy a business um, uh, a vehicle, then these are all other options that you might want to explore, but that's not really a topic for today. So in summary, there are two main things we've talked about. We've talked about the top 10 tips for buying a car, things to look out for when purchasing a vehicle. It's an exciting time in your life, but it's also a potentially expensive and disastrous one if not made correctly. Buying a car financially is a losing proposition, especially if you're going to be using the car for personal use. Now, I was speaking to a colleague of mine who, who buys lots and lots of classic cars because they feel that it's a investment. Great, um, because that's what they're into. And uh, if you want to do that, that's fantastic, but that is investment. You're not going to be riding the car every single day, okay? I'm talking about buying a car for you and your family for use every single day. So if you don't do the due diligence, you can be absolutely burnt, and financially, it can set you back about five to ten years. And I've seen many people that have been set back by five to ten years for buying an expensive car based on leasing options, which they could not afford. The second part of this segment of the podcast is the financial options when buying a car, which is going to be your second biggest purchase in your life, so take care whilst doing it. If you have the cash, there is no better way to rocking up with a suitcase full of money and paying it with cold, hard money. Actually, I've, I've actually bought cars entirely on my credit card. Uh, of course, I've got the money in the bank to show for it. Uh, and they have waived the surcharge, and I've just, you know, collected triple points. Um, in fact, that's I, I did that about a couple of years ago when I bought a SUV for my wife. Um, but I've got the money, uh, I've saved the money, I've planned for it. I've just gone in there, used my credit card, boom, you know, hundred plus thousand points because I get triple, double points, whatever. And uh, I no surcharge, no interest, just transfer the money straight away from my savings account. Now. That's the summary of this uh, podcast episode 29. Um, again, uh, my podcast channel is all about paying yourself first. Save that 20% if you can or work up to it. Invest it, reinvest the dividends, do it again and again and again. And uh, if you've got any questions, please don't hesitate to contact me uh, by SMS, mobile, Facebook, email, etc. I know some of you have already Facebooked me and I'm trying to get through them as quickly as I can. I think I'm up to date actually. So if you've got any questions, don't um, don't hesitate to ask. If you want me to talk about topics of your interest, I'm always happy to. Um, uh, if you want any suggestions for topics and podcast channel episodes, then yep, I'm, I'm more than happy to do that, providing time permits. Um, and really, uh, I read an article recently by Marcus Hadley uh, in The Age, um, and uh, basically what um, the article said is, if you're going to buy a $100,000 car, potentially over the long term, uh, with the Australian stock market returning about 9%, that car, the opportunity cost for that $100,000 could be as high as $1.8 million. So remember, um, you know, if you really enjoy your cars and you really need the cars, go for it. But buying a car is a financially losing proposition. So make sure when you make that, you want to lose as less money as you possibly can. This is Dev Raga Personal Finance, podcast episode number 29 about 
car buying tips and tricks um, and some of the financial options for buying a car. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, stay safe. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 